comes upon us, it's that time of year. Brandy and eggnog, there's plenty of cheer. There's lights on the trees and there's wreaths to be hung. There's mischief and mayhem and songs to be sung. There's bells and there's holly, the kids are gung-ho. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Cable Smith, wishing each and every one of you a happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and uh, a warm welcome to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. We appreciate their support as well, and I appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in this week. Uh, it is great to be here. Talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. Um, and before I tell you though, what's on today's broadcast, um, man, I am so happy and, and and relieved to be honest to be able to tell you guys and gals that I finally harvested my mountain lion. Uh, it took three trips and seventeen days of hunting with my friend Wayne Pinnell of Cathedral Bluff Outfitters in uh, Northwest Colorado. Started back in the spring of 2016, and we've done it on dry ground. We've done it on the snow. We've caught four mountain lions, and finally, we caught the right lion for me to harvest. And I'm going to tell you all about that experience in great detail next week. We'll have Wayne jump on the show, and, and we'll talk about his experience as a houndsman for over three decades and, and the dogs that make it all happen. So it's going to be great next week. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing that experience with you guys and gals. Uh, what's coming up here today, however, is equally awesome because we've got Remy Warren set to join us, a uh, longtime guide, writer, uh, TV show host. Uh, Remy will jump on, and, and we're going to get into extreme late-season backcountry hunting when there's snow on the ground, the temperatures are below zero. Uh, how do you stay warm? Uh, there are some tips and tricks that he's going to share with us because uh, it is a dicey situation. Once your hands and feet get cold, and I mean truly, truly cold, uh, when you're in the backcountry, that can become a, a pretty bad situation. Uh, and then also, you've probably heard about the grizzly bear that charged the meat eater crew on a recent uh, elk hunt. Remy was a part of that experience, and so we'll also get into the uh, <laughs> the grizzly bear charge and what to do in that situation, if there is anything to do. You know, maybe the bear just is on you before you can even react. So we'll also get Remy's uh, reaction and, and thoughts on that situation as well. Then we will switch gears and talk a little coyote calling with our good friend Jeff Thomason, the host of Predator Pursuit on Sportsman's Channel, a good buddy of ours that we've been able to do some hunting with here over the past few years. And when it comes to calling coyotes, um, he's about as good as it gets. So we'll pick his brain on vocalizations. And then uh, also, he's got a tip for gray fox that is pretty unorthodox, one that you might not be aware of. Uh, so cool stuff coming up on the uh, predator calling side of things here at the bottom of the hour. So that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. A couple other things to mention. Uh, I've decided to extend our November Photo of the Month contest into December. Why not? You know, we've got an awesome prize, a 50-quart Lone Star Outdoors Show Edition Bison Cooler. Uh, so keep those submissions coming in. It'll be a November-slash-December Photo of the Month contest, and uh, we'll get your photos posted on the website for a fan vote 
here at the end of December. So email them to LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com or post them on our Facebook page. Tag us with uh, the hashtag LSOS photo contest on Instagram if you want to go that route. And as always, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing you guys and gals' uh, experiences in the great outdoors. Uh, then our 12 monthly winners from 2017 will square off. Actually, I guess it'll only be 11 uh, since we combined November and December. But uh, they will square off for our grand prize photo of the year contest. And someone's going to get to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, so get those photos in. And then, uh, you know what? We need to... Uh, we need to do a giveaway here. It is the Christmas season. I'm in the giving spirit, but hey, I'm actually in that spirit year-round. But that's only magnified as we approach my favorite holiday. So today I've got a fifth of, and so I guess you need to be 21 uh, for this one, but I've got a fifth of Texas Silver Star Whiskey. I've got a Lone Star Beer Camo Dove Seat and Cap, which uh, that Dove Seat also doubles as a cooler, by the way. And we'll send this prize pack out to the third person to text in the word. Let's see. How about backcountry? Because that's what we're going to get into next. Text in the word backcountry to 214-289-7807. You could win the uh, Texas Silver Star Whiskey and Lone Star Beer prize pack. Let's take a break. Up next, we're going to hit the backcountry with our old friend Remy Warren right here on the Lone Star. My weather wonderland might be tumbleweeds and sand. And I'll have my Christmas turkey barbecue. Hey, it's Justin at DontTradeItIn.com. Have you ever felt like you didn't get enough for your trade-in at a car dealership? You probably didn't. Trade-ins usually become inventory, and most car dealerships are like other businesses. They want inventory costs to be as low as possible. DontTradeItIn.com buys vehicles for more, guaranteed. Are you worried about mechanical and or cosmetic issues? Not planning on replacing your vehicle? No problem. We'll still make you a cash offer. DontTradeItIn.com even buys customized, off-road, special interest, classic, and exotic vehicles. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com, answer some quick questions, and you get a cash bid on your vehicle in no time. DontTradeItIn.com or call or text us at 469-300-9669. Again, that's 469-300-9669. A rock steady point. A covey rises. Over-unders ring out. Cable here for White Rock Upland Birds, an outfit Bell and I have hunted with many times. Whether you bring your bird dogs or use their polished pointers, hunting quail and pheasant on the White Rock Trophy Ranch is an experience to remember. Located 45 minutes from DFW in Italy, Texas, White Rock will waive the $150 guide fee if you mention the Lone Star Outdoors show. Plus, save $25 off any package if you bring your own dogs. So grab your buddies and shotguns and call 972-880-9068 today. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. 
You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. I'm leaving Santa Lone Star. Hey, Santa, thanks for working so hard. Hey, Santa, I know you travel so far. Hey, Santa. There it is, my all-time favorite Christmas, too. Sam Mason and Songbird Jones. I'm leaving Santa Lone Star. I'm Cable Smith, and this is the Lone Star Outdoors Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. And by the way, a cool little fact for you. Next week, Sam Mason and Songbird Jones will be here in the Lone Star Outdoors Show studio, and they'll play that tune live on the air. Uh, that's right, and that's what that'll be on December 23rd. So two days before Christmas, we're really going to get into that Christmas spirit uh, when they join us live in studio. Uh, I think they'll play a, a couple of songs and and uh, maybe talk a little hunting and fishing. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. That's long been my go-to Christmas tune. Anyway, we're all set to jump into it here with uh, our good friend Remy Warren. But before we do that, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Available this hunting and holiday season in the Lone Star Beer camo can. Get that hunter what he really wants. How about a case of Lone Star under the Christmas tree? Lone Star Beer, <laughs> the national beer of Texas. All right. Uh, well, if you don't know who Remy Warren is, let me tell you a little about him. He's a longtime big game outfitter specializing in western big game hunting. Also the host of the show Apex Predator. And a familiar face on many of the Meat Eater uh, episodes with Stephen Ranella as well. And so uh, without further ado, Remy, it's great to have you back on, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's probably been a couple of years now. Last time you were on, uh, you were filming for Apex Predator, a show that I know a lot of our listeners enjoyed. I guess that what, was that two years ago? Yeah, I think, yeah, it was probably the last one we filmed was probably about two years ago uh-huh. now. So, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I think I'd probably just, what, what I might have even just finished up a hunt in Mexico or something, and some of those were airing. Um, so, yeah, 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 it's been a while. Yeah, but, and uh, so what what has Remy been up to? I know, <laughs> I know you got charged by a grizzly bear recently. I'm sure that was pretty exhilarating. Yeah, you know, um, I've been up to a lot of things. Uh, I kind of just... I like to do all sorts of uh, different stuff, but everything revolves around hunting and pretty much spending as much time outside in the woods as I can. Uh Um, I'm still doing the uh, Solo Hunters TV show. That's where I go out and film myself hunting, and that um, is a labor of love. It's something that I really enjoy doing, and I love the challenge of it, but it's also one of the most frustrating things in my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's... uh, you know, a lot of all the hunts that I do for myself are pretty much public land, most of them general area, unless I happen to draw a special tag. 
type hunts. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, it, it can be a grind sometimes because you're not only disadvantaged by filming yourself, but there's, you know, other people in the woods. There's a lot of things that can go wrong and generally whatever can go wrong will go wrong. Um, so from well, on the other year, side of that, man, I mean, you don't have anyone with you, so there's no yeah, help, you know? Exactly. Yeah. There's no help. It's kind of all on you, whether it's the filming, whether it's the hunting, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all on your shoulders. And, and honestly, I really, I mean, I've done, uh, film TV shows I, and I'm actually doing, um, quite a few of these short series for Under Armour. They're the Ridge Reaper, uh, series, which they, they now play on, um, they're all over the place, but uh, you can find them on YouTube right now. Right. On. Um, so, so what I'll do is a few of my hunts will be filmed for the Ridge Reaper series. A few of them, um, I've been doing a few more with uh, the Meat Eaters crew, and then uh, that's the one that we get charged by the bear on. Yeah. And then the solo hunting. But out of all of that, even though self-filming sounds harder, I'm so used to it now. I enjoy it more than actually having somebody else carrying a camera and filming me yeah because at least i know whatever happens it's all of my fault whether <laughs> it goes wrong or not you know there's oh no my gosh i mean I, I, and it's nice <laughs> yeah well and, and to take it to the backcountry i mean i've i've successfully filmed uh quite a few hunts but a lot of them you know i'm sitting in a tree stand and so i was like here's my camera arm let me move that over before i take this bow shot and that is still difficult to do uh, yeah but it is nowhere near as 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 difficult as is having all that gear. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, that's that, that gear's heavy, and you're the only one there. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot to carry. I mean, I did. I, I think I guess it would be this this last spring. I I was in New Zealand, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna film a another like a backcountry episode, and I hike in six miles, and I see this bull tar, and I get my camera out, and I press record. No memory card. <laughs> Every I had probably I had two or three cameras let's see i had yeah i had three cameras with me extra lenses all the batteries for a backcountry hunt for a week and no memory cards not a single memory card in any camera because i just had dumped them to clear off all the space and put them and they were just sitting uh next to my computer in my friend's shed oh my <laughs> yes. god it was terrible so i was like oh man did you still take the animal or no Yep. No, I still I, I I got the tar and I loaded it up and packed it out. But it was just it. The thing that made me mad was the fact that I carried all that weight for nothing. Mm. It was it, it was just all this extra weight and cameras and all that gear, and I couldn't even take a photo. <laughs> just it was mentally it was mentally disturbing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've I've been doing a lot of the the solo hunter filming. Um, the Under Armour stuff, and then yeah, doing a lot of guiding as well. I still guide in, in Montana and right. wherever I can. But right. uh, and and actually, this year was was uh, kind of a lot. I, I had a really successful, really good. I, I kind of split my season up. I get two falls a year because I go below the equator uh, during what would be North American spring. So. Um, I had a really good fall season um, in New Zealand and Australia this year. Uh, had some really did, did some different hunts that I hadn't done before. Um, got to go hunting for water buffalo in the Northern Territories of Australia, and that was a really cool trip. 
just more for the experience of just being out there so far from anything. Sure. Uh, a guy I used to work with had a connection up there. So we went up there and then we just kind of spiked out and hunted on alone each day and then met back up uh, to camp for the night and just make sure everyone had all their limbs and everything. Are those, uh, are the Australian version, are they as cantankerous as their uh, African cousins? You know, I think people say they are, but I, it has not been my experience that uh-huh. they are. Um, what is actually, I what I found more menacing than the water buffalo were the scrub bulls, hmm. uh, which are really just wild cattle. But yeah. the the wild cattle were a different kind, like almost scary. Like they would actually seek you out. And that was just a little unnerving. Or hmm. not, the buffalo would tend to catch your wind and run or whatever. The wild cattle, if cornered or felt threatened, they would immediately charge. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and being up there so far, we're talking like the place I was at, you're 13 miles by vehicle, or sorry, 13 hours by vehicle. Yeah, 13 miles, not refer. Uh, 13 hours by vehicle to the spot on pretty much dirt roads. You know, you're a very long ways away from civilization. So if something did happen, you pretty much forget about it. <laughs> aren't, yeah, I mean, you can't even you can't fly a helicopter that far. Yeah, without refueling. There's no real yeah, emergency. You're, you're literally on your own. Yeah, you're yeah, you're really on your own. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a I went to South Africa for the first time last uh, last summer, and you know it was a plains game hunt. Um, my buddy though he has worked hard, has made a good living, and and so he was doing a Cape buffalo hunt, and I got to I got to tag along on that deal. And it went from, hey, the PHs are your best friends, everyone's, you know, happy-go-lucky, to here's the big guns coming out, everyone's stone, stone-faced, stone and it's it's serious business. And uh, oh, yeah. I slipped on a rock. I mean, just 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 sprinkled a little bit, and I just lost my footing when we were about 150 yards from these buffalo. And, and my PH just looked at me with this go-to-hell look. And I was like, oh, dude, you know, after the hunt, he was like, I'm sorry I looked at you like that. And I said, I've never felt that small in my life. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was uh, those Cape Buffalo, man, they, you know, and, and we had two PHs. And, and I don't think they were carrying like, uh, like a 475 Nitro Express or some giant, you know, gun like that. Yeah. And luckily, my buddy made a good shot. And the Buffalo, he only ran 100 yards and piled up. But it was, uh, that was the, probably the most tense hunting experience I've been on probably not as, as, as intense as, uh, getting charged by a grizzly though. Yeah, that was, that was a little unnerving. There's, there's been times where I've had encounters with, I would say other animals, false charges or whatever, but this was a full on charge where, you know, that animal's in there to, to do some damage. It's a, it's a completely, it's a, it's a very scary experience. You you run through the scenarios in your head all the time. I'm out there so much and interact in, with animals all the time. So, you know, you run these hypotheticals through your head constantly. What would I do? What do you do? And when it actually happens, there's no time to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I, I keep referring to is people can tell you is all day long, this is what you do during a grizzly bear attack. When it actually happens, <laughs> none of that works. Yeah. You just so there's you no either get lucky to... or you don't. Yeah, there's nothing you can really do. So, like, if you had um, a sidearm or pepper spray, it's not like, which one do I grab? It's like, I don't grab either because he's already here. Exactly, yeah. I, I think, well, I, we've got 
a little we everyone was kind of separated from their deterrence at the point when it attacked so i felt like my mistake was i kind of went for my pistol but didn't even have time to grab it out of my pack and was strapped like because i had a uh a holster but i used the holster i kept swapping between the holster on the outside of my pack and then on my body so i wore a holster underneath my pack belt when i and then i would swap the pistol back mm-hmm. and forth and one time i didn't swap it was one time we got attacked mm-hmm. which makes you feel horrible the fact that you have something that probably could have prevented all this sitting right there and not in your hands a very helpless feeling yeah um the way the wind was blowing, though, the pepper spray wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It was very, very strong winds. So it was too strong, to, and it came with the wind. So we would have just pretty much seasoned ourselves <laughs> in order to get eaten. Yeah. Um, but you never know. Yeah. The, the way the, it all worked out fine, but in, you, you just would never, you would never want to be caught in that situation again. I think that if I were, if, in the future, I'll probably have my pistol on my chest somehow. And I looked for a chest holster before, but I just didn't have one that, where I looked. I couldn't find one that fit my pistol. Sure. Um, but I think that that would be the way to have it. You could still defend yourself and get to it, whether you're on the ground or a bear's on top of you, whatever. You could, you could get to your pistol if it was on your chest. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. yeah that's... Well, so and and this was a big group of guys. I mean, it was on a meat eater uh, hunt, and uh, you know, people probably some of some of our listeners probably have heard the podcast where you guys talked about it. Um, but ultimately, this bear didn't do any damage, and and I don't know if that's because he realized it was such a big group of folks or or what. Um, but uh, maybe you could talk about what exactly happened on that front. Yeah, I think, so the reason I, I mean, think... It sounds we, like you guys are even pretty open about, hey, we let our guard down and, and this, that, and the other, and, and we knew better, and yeah, we just got complacent. We did get complacent, and I think the reason that nobody got hurt was because there was the situation just happened to have so many of us right there. I think the bear charged in thinking he was going in to kill one thing, uh-huh. and when it broke out into six, it uh, it confused him, and then he tried to kill everyone at once, and that just didn't work. It was more like, if you think about, I mean, there's a lot of African animals that the reason they stay alive is they stay in groups, and they, mm-hmm. you know, think about springbuck, and they've got all these colorful markings, and when a lion or a cheetah runs into the herd, they scatter, and it confuses them, and they can't single out one particular prey animal. Right. And then they end up with nothing because they, okay, everything gets confusing and they can't walk in. And I think that that's what happened when we scattered that scattering effect confused the bear to not really know what he was attacking and that, and that amount of confusion caused him to have to reassess the situation. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes when a group of teal dive bomb the decoys. Now, was this a boar or a sow? It, it was a boar. And, and so was that a territorial thing? Because most of the attacks that you hear about are, are sows with cubs. Yeah, I think it very well could have been territorial, just a bear with a bad disposition. He might have smelt food and thought, well, that's going to be my food. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because you, you guys was, did have a downed elk there, right? Yeah, we did. Um, you know, we had we had the meat hanging in the tree. Uh, so whether that, I would imagine that you know he knew that that was there. But he also was upwind of it so he wasn't like sniffing meat so he had either camped out and hurt us or um 
not really sure exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I did I did hear a report from a friend of mine. Somebody else had gone into that same area a week later and been attacked by a bear pretty much in the same area. And they ended up killing it in defense of life. And it was an 11, I think it was uh, 1,100-pound bear over over 11 and a half feet long, mm. something like that. So no. I, I'm assuming that it, that was your I'm old assuming bear, that right? it was the same bear. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded very similar, <laughs> yeah. similar, similar place, similar circumstance, or I don't know what their circumstances were, but yeah. uh, that's what I was told. So well. it could have just been a bear that just didn't like people for some reason or right. another, or didn't like anything. It just well, was a bear that was very aggressive. Regardless, that's uh, something I hope I never experienced. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's a big animal, a, a thousand pounds of it was it it was very big and very well very, i mean you present. you had a show called apex predator and ultimately humans walk on two feet we make guns and weapons and can build fires and we are the apex predator but i'm sure that makes you feel pretty small in that situation very small you feel absolutely helpless yeah. um there's really nothing you can do you just it, it, it's 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 Pretty scary. Squint your cheeks you think about it and hope for the best. Exactly. Yeah, because I've always thought, oh, okay, yeah, bear attack wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> I've changed my stance on that. It would be the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Especially with the timing of when that happened and a storm rolling in. It would have been really bad circumstances because nobody would have been able to get in for emergency evac or anything like that. It would have been a really bad circumstance. Even a light mauling probably could have turned real real life threatening really fast. Wow. Well, hairy stuff. Uh we're glad all you guys came away from it unscathed. Yeah. No doubt about that. Um let's do this. Can you stick around for a few more minutes? Yep, for okay. sure. We'll work in a quick commercial break here, come back because there's some uh backcountry tips I want to get into with you. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. Excellent. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. For over a hundred years, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping folks finance their own piece of paradise. Whether you need something for recreation, uh, hunting, or for ranching, Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. So let Lone Star Ag Credit help you finance your piece of Texas today by visiting LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from Remy Warren right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I said that's just the way I roll Baby got a little rebel in my soul Let's get it on Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks to say the least I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now They also do a deer, hog, and turkey as well They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one morning waterfowl hunt or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at huntoutlaw.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. 
Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere? Leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. Mom got drunk and dad got drunk At a Christmas party We were drinking champagne Robert Earl Keane, Merry Christmas from the family Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club Cable Smith here. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our presenting sponsors. And thank you for being here, sharing a part of the holiday season with me. Hope it's been a good one for you and yours, and uh, only continues to get better as we approach the birth of our Lord and Savior and uh, the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, we're all set to jump back into it here with our old buddy Remy Warren. Uh, but first, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Horizon Firearms. You guys have seen the photos uh, I've posted. If you're on social media, you've probably seen uh, more than one of my Horizon 7 mag custom rifle built in College Station, Texas. It's a tack driver, and it's the brand that I trust. When it comes down to it, when I pull the trigger, I know the animal's going down quick and clean. They'll build you your dream rifle to the specs of your desire, and you can uh, find some of their work right there at horizonfirearms.com. All right. Uh, well, Remy, we certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, my friend. Yeah, thanks. We uh, we got into uh, what you've been up to and, and obviously the grizzly charge with the Meat Eater crew. Uh, but what I want to get into now is some late-season backcountry tips and, and a lot of like gear tips and stuff. Uh, you're someone that spends a lot of time in the backcountry, uh, various times of the year, various seasons. So, folks, right now, you know, we've got late season mule deer, elk, uh, rifle hunts going on in a lot of places. Um, and let's start with with footwear. Say there's snow on the ground. Uh, what? And it, this is all, you know, it doesn't have to be a specific brand, but just uh, what are you looking for in a boot that is going to keep you warm and dry? Because I've ran in, I've run into this problem quite a few times in the backcountry as far as um, and it's been, it's a learning curve, you know, in 15 years of doing it, um, I've been in, you know, situations where my feet were, were in pretty bad shape. So, uh, what do you go with? Yeah. So real late season, if it's really cold out and you, you, you're hiking a lot, so uh-huh. your, your body moving, um, creates warmth. Uh, but I've had problems as far as cold feet because I've actually had frostbite on a few toes. So those, those toes get, uh, real cold, real fast. Mm-hmm. So now I use, I, I look for boots with a lot of insulation. Um, if I, if it's going to be a hiking type hunt, I generally keep it around the six to 800 range, even though there are some that, you know, have that thousand. Right. Um, if you're, if you're going to be sitting, you definitely probably want a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Um, I would say leather boots are real popular, but I personally don't like them for real cold. Uh-huh. I feel like the leather gets real stiff 
uh, as opposed to say maybe say like a synthetic boot, um, or even and, okay. and seems to seems to hold the cold. I don't know why that is, but for me personally, it just feels like the leather holds the cold more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe most of my leather boots don't have as much insulation in them either. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I like a pack boot's always good. I, I've worn a lot of pack boots. They've got those removable liners, so it's nice because you could um, throw a throw a hand warmer or a foot warmer in the bottom if you're if you're sitting for a while, warm up. And then you can always, like, if you're camping or backcountry hunting, you can uh, pop those liners out and then just sleep with them on your on your feet at night. And the heat from your body will actually draw the moisture out of them, and it'll draw the moisture out through your sleeping bag. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of something to think about is, like, a, a pack-style boot. Uh, yeah. they, aren't as, they aren't as easy to hike in, say, standard hiking boots. So... It's kind of hard. It's very situational, and they will, you know, you get a different pair of boots for every situation. But um, something where you're going you know, British Columbia, you're going to be on a snow machine. I'd say a, a heavily insulated pack type boot would probably be a, a great choice. They've got the rubber bottoms, right? And keep, okay. you know, because once something gets wet and then freezes, it's miserable. Oh, uh, dude, yeah. I mean, yeah. I had to cut a, a New Mexico elk hunt short by two days. It was a solo hunt, and uh, and it wasn't because of like snow on the ground. It was just my feet got wet, and um, it rained every day. And I don't. Yeah. And, and if if there is a boot out there that's not, if, let's just. I mean, obviously not a rubber boot, but a uh, let's just say a leather hiking or hunting boot that will keep your foot dry after six days of rain. I haven't found it. And uh, no, they don't really exist. Yeah. I would say um, what I do, and this is just. You know, like if I for Alaska or whatever, if I've got a leather boot, um, I I'm really adamant about waxing my boots. Mm-hmm. So before the trip, I snow seal them. I'll heat them up. I'll, I'll snow seal the outside, and then I even snow seal them cold again mm-hmm. uh, to get a a real good layer of wax. Um, yeah. The wax really cuts the water, and then I even I'll bring the wax in with me, and a couple days in. Um, you know, rewax if I have to, because the wax really keeps the water out. And then I always use gators, uh, especially if it's wet. Sure. Because it's a lot of the water that gets in your boot in and from the boot, it's from coming down your leg through your pants. Right. Right. Um, so gators and then rain gear, either on top of your gators or or underneath, works fine as well. Uh, but yeah. generally, I'll go the gators and then throw the rain pants on top. Yeah. And that seems to work. On this last, actually, on that Afognak hunt, I was the only one at the end of the trip that had dry feet. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if it was just my boots were works better than everyone else's. Everyone had like a smorgasbord. Everyone had a different brand of boot. It seemed like throughout the trip, mine were dry, but I also wore my gaiters every day, whether it was real wet or lightly wet or whatever. Uh-huh. Just because once they get wet, they never dry out. Oh, yeah. And then... Um, I've also found too, uh, when you, it seems like if you stand next to a fire, a lot of people, oh, their feet are kind of wet and cold, so they stand right next to the fire. I think that real hot heat almost creates, like melts the water and then draws it inside, it seems like. So I, I, I warm my feet up, but not to the point where my feet are right next to the fire. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people do that. 
um, you go to warm up. And well, I can't tell you how many pairs running. of uh, socks I have lost because you know my feet got wet and uh, or or maybe just sweating so bad, you know, it's cold and and just dry them out by the fire and you know forget about it, go to sleep, and wake up with charred socks. And you're yep, holes right in them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I learned the hard way one year because I was uh, guiding in Montana, client had shot a bull elk, and it was freezing cold. And I'm warming my feet up, and I was just okay. So then we pack it out, and the next day we go back out to look for another bull, and about maybe a mile and a half up the trail. One sole falls off the boot. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, crap. Then about 200 yards later, the other sole fell off the boot, completely fell off. Well, the glue had heated up and delaminated it. Yeah. Uh, luckily, there's in, we're in snow, but the, uh, the booty portion stayed on. So I could, uh, it's not like you're barefoot on it, but it still was not very comfortable. Oh, <laughs> and luckily, luckily I was only a mile, uh, a mile or so in, which wasn't too bad, but it still wasn't the best yeah. <laughs> day I've ever had, you know? And then I'm like, what do I do now? I don't have any boots. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's the one thing that I try to avoid is getting too close to the fire with your boots. It feels good, but you gotta be careful. Yeah. A little, yeah, be careful <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it does, it does wreck them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, in, in what kind of socks? I mean, I uh, imagine merino wool, but I don't know if you implement liners or anything. I don't do liners. Um, I think that's pretty. That's thing of the past, isn't it? I mean, that's like what. My yeah, dad that was it. That was a thing for a while, yeah. and I did it for a while. I was like, this seems pointless. I, I just didn't. It I just never noticed. I with advantage. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty much just do. I I like um, synthetic blend socks, wool wool blends or something that's a, a wool base, but synthetic or a smart wool type sock where it's not all wool. Yeah. Um, I just find that it, it just holds together a little better for me and seems more comfortable. What's the, uh, what's the coldest that you've ever been? And I'll tell you, I'll preface it by saying I did a, uh, New Mexico mule deer hunt and this was, uh, this was just late September. So we were thinking there wasn't going to be any snow. There was a whiteout up there at 11,500 feet where we had, chosen to camp and i spent uh, i spent 16 hours straight in my sleeping bag when i got in there my hands were so cold i couldn't like unzip my jacket uh untie my boots i mean just simple tasks like that and you said you've had frostbite i, I didn't get frostbite but I, I think i was pretty close um that's about as miserable as, as I, i've ever been in the backcountry yeah that's i've had similar type cold hunts like that where you're just you're just shivering and i, and I think to be honest there's there's been hunts where it might be 20 below, and that's really cold. You can't really breathe the air outside without having something covered up. But I've, I'm more prepared on those type of hunts with more clothes. I think the real bad ones are the ones where you don't expect it to be too cold, yeah. and it ends up being just frigid, and you get uh, a lot of humidity. Cold temperatures and humidity are the worst, especially you know those nights where you're shivering so much you can't sleep mm-hmm. uh for those for those i've got a few different little tricks that i do to, to stay warm um one of them is in my sleeping bag a lot of people be like i'll layer up and then get in the sleeping bag i find that that doesn't work as well as almost stripping down in your sleeping bag and then i'll take 
my jacket layers and say my jacket, I'll zip up and then I'll put slide over my footbed and then I'll take my rain gear because a lot of times the, the movement of air actually cools you down pretty good. So you don't realize, especially if it's like that damp, wet or windy. Um, and then I'll put my rain jacket over and I essentially dress on the outside of my sleeping bag. And that tends to trap heat quite a bit more because that down layer is closer to your body. And just as long as you still got some loft in there and your body heat's heating up the bag, it's not lost in the clothes, but the clothes are trapping the heat in on the outside. So I found that that works a lot better than throwing a bunch of layers on on the inside. I actually layer my bag on the outside. Hmm. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. I haven't, I haven't tried that. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it should work. Uh, and then I don't know. I always, uh, my head is one thing that always gets cold, and so I always um, sleep with a beanie on. Seems yep. like that's a way to keep some good heat retention. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's how cold I was. I had a bottle of whiskey, you know, plastic flask. I, I poured it out outside of the tent so I could pee in it because I didn't want to get out of my sleep today. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's cold. Another, another thing that I do pretty regularly, and it's just – it's a little – I call it my backcountry secret. I'll just uh, get the jet boil going, boil up some water, and then fill my algaes before I go to bed. Uh-huh. Hot water, as hot as you can get it, crank it up, lock the lid on tight, and stick it in your sleeping bag with you. And that lasts quite a quite a while through the night. Hmm. Uh, that warm water does wonders, especially around the footbed of your sleeping bag. And uh, nice, keeps yeah. warm. Right. A little bit of heat source inside that bag because when you crawl into a cold bag, it's just cold. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You know, but if you can heat that bag up with that hot water, it actually helps quite a bit. What about uh, what about layering? What uh, what material do you want touching your skin as your base layer? Oh, I I go back. I've always been more into synthetic mm-hmm. um, or wool synthetics. I I'm not. I haven't always liked pure wool only because the the smell I don't really like the smell of it as much um that wet dog smell when you're sweating in it, <laughs> even though it is antimicrobial um but either it it doesn't really I I go between a lot of stuff I guess um so I will wear merino wool as a base layer and I'll wear um you know like an under armor 2.0 stuff it just depends on what the temperatures are and um really I, I would say probably my go to would be like a synthetic type base. Mm-hmm. Um I use those under armor like two point oh, three point oh stuff because it's real light and I can move around in it, but it is actually super warm. That three point oh stuff I've used in twenty below and then put some um you know like wool type wool blend pants on over the top of that and it's about as warm as you need to be, especially if you're moving around. Yeah. Um, and you don't really get over-sweated in it either because it breathes enough. Uh, that's kind of my go-to, like, real cold stuff. Um, but I would say, like, for most fall hunting, I, I generally go with, like, a, a wool base layer or wool blend base layer, like a synthetic wool base layer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mid- midweight. Yeah. Well, you know, we've all been, probably most of us have been on a successful hunt, whether it's your deer lease or, you know, uh, in the backcountry where – it's so cold that you've got this downed animal and it's time to field dress it or quarter it up but your hands aren't working because it's so damn cold. Um, what Do you have any tip as far as trying to get your digits uh, back to a, a, you know, a working temperature? 
Yeah, well, the first thing I do is I build a fire. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, if I have a downed animal, generally the first thing I'm doing when I walk up to it is building a fire. Um, maybe that's not possible everywhere, but at least where I hunt, we, we build a lot of fires. Mm-hmm. It's cold. Um, if you can't get a fire going, I learned this technique. They call it the happy penguin. Uh, it's where you, you kind of cock your shoulders back and uh, and put your wrists like like almost like your hands are on a table behind your back and you shrug your shoulders. Supposedly it pumps blood into your hands. Hmm. Um, a lot of times what I'll do too is I'll bring latex gloves when it's cold out, not necessarily to keep, well, to keep your cause blood and everything is wet. Mm-hmm. Once your hands get wet, then they get cold. So that latex glove really traps the heat in. And then, you know, doing some kind of movement, jumping jacks, something, get yeah. get your body to create heat and then get to work. When you're cutting up an elk, it's a lot of work. You, you know, you, your hands will start to work once your body starts to heat up and you're moving a lot. I mean, your hands uh, will the, cramp up even if it's not cold outside a lot of times. Mine do anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're putting a lot of torque yeah, in those on those fingers and, and your palms and um, exactly. Has the weather ever been too just downright awful that you bail on a hunt early or or you just don't go altogether? No, because I'm stupid. <laughs> There's been a lot of hunts where I probably should have. Um, but I'm the type that's like, oh yeah, the weather's terrible, and then I probably should just stay in the tent. But now I'm just going to hike up to the top of the ridge, and then I'm soaking wet and just miserable. Yeah, uh, I do that a lot. Um, <laughs> And like with guiding or whatever, you you pretty much a guy might only be there for five days. You're hunting every day. It doesn't matter what the weather's like. Even though you know you aren't going to see anything because the weather's so bad, you still got to go out, yeah. give it a try. I mean, uh, that's another thing about just the guide's life is uh, staying positive even when you know <laughs> you're not going to see a damn thing. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of days when when it's foggy and your your whole hunt is based on spotting something and there's not a lot of high density i mean if you're if you're deer hunting or something okay like white tails in the river in the river bottom yeah there's high numbers you can go do that whenever and probably see animals but when it's something like elk hunting and you've got two million acres and one thousand elk you know you need to be able to see a little bit Mm -hmm. kind of figure out where things are that day Um, otherwise you're just kind of walking around aimlessly um and especially if they're going to be hunkered down or whatever so there's a lot of days where the weather isn't ideal for hunting, but I still go out because you have zero percent chance if you aren't out there. Yeah, uh, there are days in Alaska or whatever, but the, where the weather's just so bad, you know, if you get wet, you're going to be wet for a week, and it could be dangerous. You just have to stay in the tent for a day. Or I mean, there's even been times where two week type hunt, you're sitting in the tent for three days because it's just horrible weather and you can't really go out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you mentioned you know first thing you're going to do is build a fire. Um, what what is your favorite fire starter? And, and like going back to that New Mexico hunt, we we're lucky that we had horses pack in some some gear and food and stuff because if we yeah. didn't have gasoline, I don't know if we'd ever got a fire going. To be honest with you, everything was so wet that it just would have been very very difficult. Yeah, I mean it depends. Um, I think one thing. I don't really bring like uh, any commercial fire starters or anything generally. Mm-hmm. Um, you just rub two sticks together. Yeah, pretty much. Right. <laughs> uh, no, it depends where I'm at. Um, the whole, I guess, if there's some stuff that's pretty much essentially cotton balls with Vaseline on it, that always works pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, it depends what kind of terrain I'm in. 
if all if it's if it's a country where there's a lot of pine, then I know that I can always get a fire started no matter how wet it is generally. Um, what I it's really just about like the right materials, and a lot of that comes down to knowing the right plants and things that burn real well. Yeah. Uh, what I use a lot, like if I'm hiking and I see a, a real sappy pine, I use a lot of pine sap. Um, so if I'm out, I'll actually just gather it up and put it in a little baggie. If I have a good spot where there's some big pieces of pine sap that I'll be able to start later. Um, and if it's wet, you know, I might even take some moss off the trees and put it inside my jacket to dry out. Uh, use a lot of like old man's beard or black right. moss, um, pine sap. And then the, the key thing that I always look for is those pine trees that have the brown needles. You get a little flame going and, those light up like they're covered in gasoline. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can generally light a fire pretty fast with that. Now, in somewhere where it's real hardwoods, yeah, it's, I would, I'd bring fire starter and probably, um, you know, I've got a little multi-tool so I can saw into some stuff and cut out the cores and get a little bit drier material to get going. There's a lot of times in Alaska where it's been just little spruces and everything's wet really 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 hard to get a fire going in those situations you've got that vaseline cotton ball or um there's one uh i think it's like soul companies survive outdoors longer i think it is they make this cube that almost feels like a real white styrofoam Hmm. that stuff gets really hot and burns really well um really easily that that's always a good good fire starter as well Right on. And then just trying to find good materials and taking time to, you, you always get uh, a fire heat you up twice. Once looking for the materials to make it, <laughs> gathering up all the right stuff, and then when it actually is lit, uh, you know, if you spend a little bit of time working hard to get the right materials, you'll actually warm up and get a little saw with your multi-tool going and that heats you up pretty quick. Yeah. You can generally... Well, and that just goes back. I mean, everything in the backcountry you have to work so hard to accomplish, and uh, oh, yeah. burning so many calories. Um, I don't know what we don't really have time to get into um, the important. Don't want to understate the importance of eating a lot of calories, um, but uh, maybe give us because we don't have time to talk about all the backcountry nutrition. Just basically stay hydrated, eat a lot of calories. What is your favorite high calorie uh, meal or snack, even? that you kind of rely on in the backcountry to keep you going? Ooh, I just pick anything with the more calories per ounce it is, the better. Um, I take uh, Pop-Tarts seem to be a good breakfast item. <laughs> a lot of calories. I'm not afraid to just eat horrible food when I'm backpacking because you literally cannot carry the amount of calories that you will burn. Right. I, I tracked them one time, and I think one day, just on a day hunt, we burned. I can't remember. 10,000 calories, mm-hmm. you know, that's near impossible to eat 10,000 calories. Um, that's like Michael all, Phelps, uh, Olympic training, you know, diet. Yeah. You just, when you're carrying a heavy pack and you go 20 miles or something on the, especially early in the season, archery season, when you might start two hours before the sun up and you stop at dark, those are long days. You, you don't have to be walking very fast to cover 20 miles. And then you go, Oh wow, I've gone a lot further than I expected chasing elk or whatever. And you have, and you you literally can see yourself losing weight, and there's nothing you can do to gain it back. But I would say something that I I always try to find real calorie dense things. Um, I think some of the the most calorie dense foods that are actually pretty good for you. Almonds are real good. 
Um, I bring a lot of peanut butter. Oh yeah. Um, I, I bring oil, like olive oil, um, or coconut oil. That's like, you can buy that coconut oil. It's hardened, um, because it solidifies. Mm -hmm. So just coconut oil solidified, cut it up and almost like butter cube type pieces. And then when I make my mountain house, I'll just load it up with uh, some coconut oil. It's got a bunch of calories in it. Nice. Talking about what 300 calories per tablespoon. I could be wrong, but I think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to, you know, so you put a couple tablespoons of that and you're, you got, you know, then you've got an extra 600 calories that you're eating right there. Uh, I've actually yeah. recently found little, uh, coconut oil packets that I've been bringing in and, uh, squeezing into my backcountry meals. I've, I, yeah, I've eaten the, uh, like the almond butter, just straight, the little packets, just squeeze it out and just right into your yep. mouth. Yeah. Yeah, there's this uh, there's this new one that's pretty good. It's um, what is it called? Nutso. They've got the little packets as well, the chocolate peanut, but it's got ten different kinds of nuts in it. Really high protein, good good amount of calories in it. Mm. Um, those are pretty good. Yeah, I'll bring that kind of stuff. And then I do a lot of uh, peanut butter tortillas. Yeah, yeah, peanut that's my favorite. I was about to ask tortillas. you if you've eaten the peanut butter tortilla with bacon because I like to cook like a whole thing of bacon for the week and and oh it's yeah very heavy you know throw it in there yep. lots of calories yeah that's the that's a go-to and then i squeeze honey in it a little bit of honey a little bit of jam or whatever yeah even hide jalapeno in there and just kind of wakes you up <laughs> <laughs> right on yeah right on. hey remy i certainly have enjoyed the conversation today it's always great to catch up talk a little uh hunting with you uh folks can find you you're still obviously obviously like you said solo hunter uh, also, uh, Under Armour Ridge Reaper projects, and yep. then uh, on various upcoming meat eater hunts, I'm sure as well. Yeah, and if uh, if anybody wants to check in, see what I'm about or whatever, I think uh, the only social media I'm really that active on is my Instagram page. So check that out. And uh, yeah, yeah, lots when of I'm, content. On I've there. got a little bit of time this time of year. I'll go through some photos, post some cool stuff, and generally try to keep it updated. I, I'm out of service more than I'm in service. I try to catch up on things when I'm actually in service. Uh, but it's it's fun to people send messages and whatever, and it's cool to hear from people that are from all over the place and yeah. enjoy hunting. And, uh, yeah, I love it. So it's cool if you check that out. Well, I sure like seeing your experiences, man, and, and thanks for letting us pick your brain today. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. We'll, we'll do it again sometime soon, I'm sure, but hopefully not. Uh, hopefully we won't take a – two-year hiatus because uh sounds good uh, <laughs> i always like catching up all right brother yep good catching up with you thanks so there he goes remy warren uh truly one of the nicest guys that you'll find and uh, certainly an authority on western big game hunting uh that segment of the show brought to you by pulsar if you're looking for a thermal or night vision optic head over to pulsarnv.com check out the pulsar trail or any of their thermal or night vision optics, and you can save 20% off your purchase if you use the promo code Lone Star. That's Lone Star at PulsarNV.com. Uh, all right, let's take a break. Up next, we'll call in some pasture poodles with Jeff Thomason of Predator Pursuit right here on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Cause the wall's been broken, the chains ain't holding, the line's been drawing. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the System Hog Trap 
Comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hey, it's Cable for DontTradeItIn.com. If you've got an old four-wheel drive vehicle that you don't need anymore or you want to upgrade your daily driver or hunting rig to a newer one, DontTradeItIn.com wants your vehicle running or not. Their purchase process is quick, easy, and painless. Answer a few questions and get a cash offer in no time. They'll beat CarMax and dealership buy bids, guaranteed. Head over to DontTradeItIn.com or call or text Justin at 469-300-9669. That's 469-300-9669. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Christmas in Texas, it'll be about 103. Christmas in Texas, watching the snow falling on TV. Christmas in Texas, I better grab another bag of ice. Christmas in Texas, cause warm on star beer ain't nice. Christmas in Texas, one of my favorites from John Evans, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith, riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for being here today. I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. Happy holidays to you and yours. I do want to say thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our longtime presenting sponsors, as we are all set to get into one of my favorite topics of discussion coyote hunting that's right we're going to call some coyotes here with our good buddy jeff thomason of predator pursuit but first uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by all seasons feeders and if you're looking for that last minute gift idea uh, check out the all seasons line of fire pits it's what i have at my dear lease you know after an all day sitting in a tree stand nothing beats a cold beer around a hot campfire and uh you can find their entire lineup of fire pits right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right, let's go ahead and talk some song dogs here. And few folks know more about coyotes than our old buddy Jeff Thomason of Predator Pursuit. Jeff, thanks for jumping on, man. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, specifically, want to talk some coyotes today. But first, uh, I gotta, I got to hear more about this Maryland trip, dude. I mean... Piling up red fox is something we don't get to do in Texas, and it looks like you guys had a, a bang-up hunt. Man, it was uh, it exceeded my expectations, I'll put it that way. We uh, 
I was I guess I was explaining it to you. Those those guys in Maryland, they've got red fox like we've got coyotes. I mean, they were covered up in them. And uh, you know, it was just really we went on kind of a two or three day hunts really what it was and I think we ended up killing 19 of them uh, wow. on on film, you know, with using white lights and and uh man, we got ran out a couple nights by fog, so I mean, really it was a short hunt and uh man, we just we wore them out. It was a, it was a great hunt. Well, so what sound is a red fox typically prone to committing to? Man, what would y'all these go guys to? There, yeah, these guys up there, man, they were they were willing to to work on just about anything. But we we kind of ran it just like we do here. I mean, I, we'd start with baby cotton tail, and mm-hmm. they, they seemed to lean more towards the really high pitched stuff, uh, bowl squeaks. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was like the flying squirrel you know stuff that's real super high pitched and uh man they they were very responsive yeah okay interesting and most of that like you said was at night yeah we did do a little bit of daytime hunting but to be honest we were we're pretty wore out Uh, (laughs) you know by the time the morning rolled around we were pulling some all-nighters but uh yeah we the very first day hunting stand we did we called one in and i shot it and uh I think we did maybe two or three more daytime stands where we didn't see anything. Hmm. But I think I think for the whole trip, I think there was maybe three spots that we called at night where we didn't see one. Wow. Wow. That's it, a... was, uh, it was on fire. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know you typically wait for the coyotes to get pretty furred up before you start chasing them and filming for predator pursuit. So about when do you start getting after them hot and heavy? Uh, typically I would say somewhere October, November, um, September, they're still pretty, pretty small and, you know, it's still really hot here. So they're, they're pretty slick. They don't have a, they don't have a real good coat on them yet. And, um, man, they're pretty small. Still, still a lot of pups out there. Right. Right. Okay. So we're in full swing now. Um, what is your, just traditionally, what is your favorite part of Texas to call? Uh, man, I, mean, that's I know you question. call all over, and, and you're from North Texas. Right, right. It's a that's a tough question. Um, for coyotes, it, it has to be West Texas. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. The numbers out there are pretty crazy, and the ranches are all really big, so it gives you the opportunity to you know to hunt all night and, and mm-hmm. never get off the same place, which is which is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, bobcats, South Texas, hands down, sure. loaded up with them. Uh, man, gray fox. That's kind of like the hill country area, mm-hmm. or maybe down towards Del Rio. I mean, there's some some really good gray fox stuff too. But you know, Texas is pretty regional. I mean, you can you can really pick. You know, if I said, you know, I want to go shoot coyotes, I'm headed to West Texas. If I want to shoot the cats, I'm going south. So we're actually pretty lucky mm-hmm. with all that. Right. What um, what about as far so West Texas is your favorite here? What about wherever you know? in all of your travels, is there anything that compares to West Texas? Oh, as far as man, number of, of, for, of coyotes that you're, you know, for coyotes, we, we did old Mexico last year and, uh, it was, it was pretty comparable. I don't know if it was as good, but we did go late in the year, which made it tough, but mm-hmm. old Mexico was good. Um, you know, I know it's not coyotes, but I went to Australia to shoot red fox and, they had real heavy numbers there too. Like I said, the Maryland trip, it was awesome. Um, but for coyotes, 
I think West Texas is, is still king. Yeah. Okay. What percentage of your calling is at night versus day for coyotes? Oh, I would say probably 75% night, uh-huh. 25% day. Yeah. Unless maybe I'm on a trip and and I'm checking the weather and I know it's going to be really windy one night. You know, I'm, I may make plans to, you know, kind of get some rest that night and, and try to hit it when it's not, not real windy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so nighttime is obviously more effective? Yeah, I would say I would I call in a lot more at night. Necessarily, not necessarily saying we kill more at night because you know you have the lights and you have the vehicle and there's just more opportunity for for things to go wrong or for these coyotes to spook. I would say my my kill percentage is probably better in the daytime mm-hmm. because I can set it up to you know, kind of pinpoint where I think they're going to come from and where I want them to go, and, and I can work them to where I need them to be. Mm-hmm. At night, man, sometimes you you just never know where they're going to come from. Right, right. So well, in the daytime, it seems like it's a it's a lot higher percentage kill rate in the daytime for me. Yeah. Uh, well, and I would say, and, and I'm much more of a novice, obviously, than 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 you, which is why we're having you on the show to talk about it, but. Um, Traditionally, I would try to go out and use white light at nighttime by myself, which is like damn near impossible to do um, if you're trying to run the light and still kill something. Uh, so thermal has really changed the game for me on that front. And uh, it's just, you know, real real easy. You've got a handheld monocular, scan with that, find the animal, boom, put the thermal scope up. And it's, I mean, the, my kill rate has, has skyrocketed uh, at nighttime anyway. but. I'm notorious for educating coyotes, I guess is what I'm saying. So <laughs> <laughs> You're that guy. Yeah, not that some, but during the day, I think I, I've, I've been more successful. Yeah. Um, and we've well, all been there, man. It's part of it. It's part of the learning curve is you're going to educate some. I mean, that's just part of it. And and even there's a lot of us out there that kill a whole bunch of coyotes, and I guarantee you I educate quite a few still. And that's, yeah. just, that's part of what makes it fun, man. You're not going to kill every one of them, and uh, they're all going to teach you a little something every time too. So keep yeah. you on your toes no for sure that's uh, that's why it's so enjoyable um well so talk about your typical set for mid-december coyotes uh as far as what sound you're going to start with and what type of area you know you're looking for so you're going out to a property and you know maybe whether it's west texas or south texas in the brush country whatever what are you looking for to say the coyote's going to come right here uh, nighttime and daytime, they're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, at night, I'm looking for a little bit more visibility. I want to be able to see them coming, especially on my downwind side. You know, they they really like to circle and get downwind. So if I can if I can set up to where I have a little bit of an opening on my downwind, that way if they do circle, I can stop them and get them shot before they get my wind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty important. If it's real thick over there, they're going to circle and and you're never going to get a shot. So um, for for daytime, I like to get some visibility. Um, typically, and you know, like I said, they're going to teach you something. But typically in the daytime, um, I'm looking for some heavy cover where they're going to be bedded up during the daytime. You know, taking a nap. You know, just just in there hanging out. I'm going to try to set up with that brush on my upwind side. That way, they never smell me. 
they never know I'm there. I try my best not to drive through the area that I'm about to call. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't always you can't always avoid that, but if at all possible, I would rather them have no idea that I'm anywhere in the world. Um, a lot of times, I think we we jump these coyotes out of their bed, mm-hmm. and uh, man, they they get out of there pretty quick. But if I can slip in there without them knowing, that's that's a huge win for me. And I think that they, if they're asleep in that brush and they hear that call, they don't take near as much time to think about it. They mm-hmm. they typically, it's just kind of a reflex reaction. They jump up and and they start heading that way. Yeah. Um, so. And what what sound are you going to fire off, you know, initially right now this time of year? Uh, you know, I, I typically start out kind of low, like I said, with a baby cottontail or a cottontail sound and just kind of slowly turn up the volume a little bit because I don't want to blow them out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I've had coyotes with the call blaring just run up there and stick their face right in it. But typically I think it's just a it's a good idea to start with a with it real low and slowly work your way up. Um and if that doesn't work, I I mean I'm the guy I'll probably play five sounds before I leave a stand. Hmm. Okay. And a lot of people raise their eyebrow at that, but when I first started I was super scared to even change one sound on a stand you know i was like man i'm gonna mess something up if i change this right. but after a while i started noticing and and actually being able to watch some of these coyotes from a distance they may be out there and, and not give a care in the world about a cottontail i switch over to a bird or a jackrabbit and it's like i flip a switch and that's exactly what they wanted to hear so here they come so once i saw that a few times it's like man you know if I've heard people compare it to fishing, you know, sometimes they're biting on a certain lure, you know, so you may want to throw three or four of them out there before you get that bite. And it works, especially, you know, if a coyote's heard a certain sound maybe before, maybe mm-hmm. that other one will be the one that that gets him to come in. Right on, right on. Well, hey, in our previous visits, we've talked about other things like how long you'll stay on a stand based on whether you're trying to call in a cat or a dog and a whole bunch of other things, but we've never really gotten into coyote vocalizations. It's something that I'm still really not sure how to implement into my setups. Um, So are you cool to stick around for another segment, and then we can dive into that discussion? You bet, bud. Perfect. And that segment brought to you by my favorite post-hunting or fishing trip grubbing spot. I'm talking about Rudy's Barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner and enjoy Rudy's true Texas-style barbecue. We continue the coyote calling conversation after the break with our buddy Jeff Thomason on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. I am a poor boy to call up a bumbo. I have no gift to bring for up a bumbo. Hey y'all, Cable here for Three Curl Outfitters, and whether you want to bow hunt hogs or Get after them with thermal imaging and night vision. Under the cover of darkness, 3Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3Curl.com to book your next hog hunt. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. 
I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey y'all, Cable here for my good friends over at Outlaw Outfitters. This veteran-owned and operated outfit will put you on the ducks, to say the least. I've been hunting with them for, gosh, four or five years now. They also do uh, deer, hog, and turkey as well. They have over 15,000 acres they hunt in Collin, Grayson, and Fannin counties. Whether you want to do a turnkey, you know, one-morning waterfowl hunt, or a complete weekend package with authentic Cajun cooking and lodging, it's all right there within an hour of the Metroplex, and you can find them at HuntOutlaw.com. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you listen to my good buddy Cable Smith with the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, I grew up. Wild and free, walking these fields in my bare feet. There wasn't no place I couldn't go with a 22 rifle and a fishing pole. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoors show. Little Josh Turner, one of the few Nashville recording artists that I can actually stomach and enjoy. I love Josh Turner. Got a great voice. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for being here as we are talking all things coyote calling today. That's right, doing a little predator hunting with our old friend Jeff Thomason of Predator Pursuit, uh, my favorite predator hunting show. You can find it airing on Sportsman's Channel. And we're going to jump back into that conversation uh, here momentarily. But first, this segment of the program brought to you by Dallas Safari Club the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Don't forget that the upcoming convention, Legacy, the DSC convention, takes place January 4th through the 7th. It's at the Dallas Convention Center. We hope to see you out there. It is truly the biggest and best hunting expo on the planet. I'll be volunteering every day. And uh, love to see each and every one of your smiling faces out there. There will be outfitters from all over the world converging in Dallas for four days. And you need to be a part of it. For more info, go to biggame.org. All right. Uh, well, Jeff, we certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break. And we've discussed you know, some of the things that you implement into your sets uh, when trying to call song dogs. But one thing that I really don't have 
a strong grasp on is when and where to use coyote vocalizations. So uh, if you wouldn't mind breaking that down for us, because while I can call in a coyote, uh, there are those instances where they want you to speak their language, and I just really don't know how to do that effectively. Yeah, generally speaking, I've had a lot better luck where the coyote populations are a lot higher. Um, I think they're a lot more vocal in those areas. Um, Typically, I don't start a stand with vocals. Normally, I will only do vocals if I I have a coyote start first. And a lot of times, that's going to be a challenge owl. And it's kind of hard to explain, but it's not a, you get that long howl. Well, the challenge howl is kind of a, it's a bark with a little bit of a howl cut off real quick. Basically just trying to start a fight with you. And if I can get one doing that, typically I can challenge him and get him to come check it out. Um, but as far as just howls, I mean, I have had it work, but it's just one of those things that a lot of times it takes them a long time before they're going to come in. Uh-huh. And maybe I'm not patient enough, but I like to, you know, take my odds with the distress sounds over sitting there trying to work a coyote. Now, if I'm hunting a small property and I don't have, you know, a lot of places to go, I'll sit there for 45 minutes just talking back and forth with them. And then sometimes you just quit talking and just sit there. And eventually it's almost like they can't stand it anymore. They're going to come over there and and just kind of see who they were, you know, fighting with and just kind of check out the area. And uh, I've had that work a few times as well. Hmm. Okay. So challenge how though would be the go-to there. Yeah, for sure. If I can challenge and now whether I'm doing it on a Fox pro or I'm doing it on a hand call, I typically try to, to make the exact same sound that they're making. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's almost, they'll start cutting you off. And when you do that, it usually means it's, it's game on They're They're getting pretty fired up and I had them out there where I was watching them do it and they in the ground and, getting their hackles up and man it's it's a pretty neat show and uh eventually those big males it's a territory thing with them they're gonna they're gonna come either try to run it off or take away whatever you know type of food they were having stole from their area mm-hmm. okay um and so, and you said they try to cut you off do you ever try to cut them off if you can absolutely just take them off they start howling man i'll hit it immediately as uh-huh. soon as they howl i'll do it too okay and it's, it's almost like if you compared two humans, you know, how people get to talking back and forth and, you know, trash talking. That's what we call it when we're doing that with guys. We'll do a little trash talking. And uh, and sometimes it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about this? Will, will a full coyote, when it's just finished snacking on something, still come into a call? So distress sound. Yes, Absolutely. Um, and like I said, not a hundred percent of, you know, it's not going to work a hundred percent of the time, but I don't know how many times I've called in coyotes off of, you know, dead cows or dead deer or whatever. And, uh, typically what I'll tell people is they're going to respond for, there's only a couple of reasons why they're either going to respond because they're hungry, they're curious, or they're being aggressive and they're basically fighting for their territory and they're wanting to know who's over there killing something in their backyard. Yes, I've definitely called them in with a full stomach, but it's not a 100%. Sure, sure. 
don't think anything in coyote hunting is 100 <laughs> percent right right um well i had this uh this, this weird experience on my lease a couple that was probably three weeks ago i was i was deer hunting and you know unsuccessfully that day um saw some deer but nothing worth shooting and uh, so put the bow down and, and grabbed the predator call. <clears throat> I was going to get, you know, use the thermal. And I walk out, set the predator call out. It's pitch black. I turn it on as I'm walking back to sit under a tree, and I hear footsteps, and, and they're getting closer. And, and it, I don't even have the thermal turned on, so I can't see this animal, but I know it's a coyote. And he had come literally 15 seconds, and he's sprinting in. It kind of scared me. It made the hair on my arm, you know, stand up a little bit because I can't see this damn thing. And finally, get the scope on and and take a couple shots at him. And he's as he's running away, you know, 150, 200 yards through the brush. But uh, that's the fastest I've ever had one come in. I just couldn't believe that I didn't have time to walk, basically just like 30 yards and just sit under a tree, and he was there. Yep, that's a lesson learned, man. I I don't even I don't turn that call on until <laughs> everybody's set up and ready to go. Because I mean, I've like you said, I've had them there in 10 seconds, you know, and and even, I mean, a countless number of times where we've climbed up in the rack, and before I ever turn the call on, I always shine the light around, make sure, you know, looking for deer, cows, you know, all that sort of stuff, and can't tell you how many times there's been a coyote or, you know, a cat or something just sitting over there watching, so yeah. Yeah. they're not always scared of you, especially in the dark. They're They're a different animal after dark than they are in the daylight how well say that if you don't have a, a white light on them essentially you know affecting their vision how well can they see us um at nighttime very well they're i mean that's what they're born to do i mean they're they can see in the dark and and that's what i was going to mention to you before even when i do hunt with thermal i still like to run a light and typically that's just to basically blind them i don't want them to be able to see me or the truck mm-hmm. um and we just did the same thing in maryland we were hunting on the ground and just because it's not time i mean they can still see really well so my whole thing was if we can keep the light in their eyes it keeps them from seeing you know especially when we're filming you know there's three or four guys with guns and i mean it's pretty hard to hide that many people oh yeah so if we can keep a light in their eyes they can't really see what's behind the light that that's really helped us on the thermal game. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> what about outside of the box sounds that, uh, I mean, everyone knows, you know, rodent distress sounds and what cat cottontail or jackrabbit or, or even woodpeckers, other birds. Um, is there anything that you use? I don't know, domestics or something else. That's kind of, uh, one of your dirty little secrets you can share with us. I was going to say, man, you're, you're starting to dig a little deep here. I don't know if I can, if I can divulge all these secrets, but no, man, absolutely. There's one thing that I learned, and, and that's why I love hunting with other people, is because everybody does things a little bit different, and you can always pick up some tips from, from other people. And We went on a trip to Arizona, and we were hunting gray fox mm-hmm. in the daytime, and these these little guys were aggressive. And the guys we were hunting with kept playing this sound. And finally, I was like, man, what is that? And they said, it's canine puppies. And it's literally when, you know, your dog has pups and you you know that sound where they're just whining. And these fox cannot stand it. And it's just, you know, I mean, people forget a fox really is, you know, it's a canine. I mean, it's, they're small dogs, basically. And, man, it just triggers something that, man, it gets them fired up. 
hmm. and uh, they just can't stand it. So that's my little one little dirty secret I'll give you give you on this one. Right on, right on. Okay, <laughs> and that's and it's more effective for gray fox. So yep, cool. Um, well, I think we are we're about out of time. Uh, if you want to plug Predator Pursuit, where can folks find it? And uh, I, I don't. I can't. I can't even remember. I just set the DVR and it shows up, and I just watch it at my own convenience. But man, what time do you guys? That's, air? The, that's the best way to do it, man. And and actually, this is a good time because we're filming right now. But the show picks back up. It's going to be Sportsman Channel. Uh, I think Monday nights at I believe it's nine o'clock is going to be our our anchor time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Direct TV. I know that's like six oh five right ish. I think it's three ninety five maybe. Um, of course, I mean, Facebook, Instagram, all those, um, we're all over, man. If you search anything predator, pretty good chance we'll pop up and you guys get on there. We're always sharing some cool stories, pictures, videos. And, uh, I think the guys out there will enjoy it. Well, good stuff, buddy. We certainly appreciate it. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. You bet, bud. Thanks for having me. Well, there he goes. Our good buddy, Jeff Thomason of Predator Pursuit. Y'all be sure to check that out. Always great to visit with Jeff. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forge Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today Well, just looking at the clock here, and I always hate this time, but uh, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to both of our guests today, Jeff, as well as our old pal, Rumi Warren. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. And thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying Merry Christmas, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I'll be just fine.